You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. I want you to take out your scriptures before you turn the book of Joshua, chapter 10. Joshua 10. Thank you again for all those up here that serve us weekly to lead us to worship. It's good to be here in God's house to praise the Lord this morning. So Joshua 10, we're going to start in verse 16, and we've got one picture from last week. A couple of them turned in, two of them. Keegan won this one. Keegan, you recognize that picture? Now, this is not what we were studying last week, but it ties in, Keegan, right? Maybe Keegan knew this. This is Joseph forgiving his brothers in Egypt. And you remember some of that story, and his brothers had thrown him in the well, and then he went and rose up in power in Egypt and eventually saved you know, the nation of Israel. God used this, and, and Joseph there said, you know, you intended for evil, God intended it for good. This was part of God's sovereign plan. Not unlike what's going on, Keegan, right in Joshua 10 and, and 9, where God's plan is these Israelites made a poor choice. They did not count, get seek counsel from the Lord. They made a covenant they should not have made, and yet God is using it, and they're conquering. And we saw them last week, last week um, defending the Gibeonites and then conquering these lands. So thanks for tying that in, Keegan with us. But anyway, let's look at God's Word, Joshua 10. We're going to start in verse 16 and then just go through verse 27 as we kind of march through chapter 10, just um, through 27. So listen to God's Word here, and starting in verse 16. These five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Makeda. And it was told to Joshua, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. And Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. But do not stay there yourselves. Pursue your enemies. Attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter their cities, for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. When Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out. And when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp at Makeda. Not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so. And brought those five kings out to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. And when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with them, Come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. And Joshua said to them, Do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous. For thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. And afterward, Joshua struck them and put them to death. And he hanged them on five trees and they hung on the trees until evening. But at the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded. And they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves. And they set large stones against the mouth of the cave, which remain to this very day. 
Let me pray again for us. Father, as we've read your word, we pray again and join with Brandon and Milt and Dave who have prayed this morning. We just pray for your work in our hearts as we study this particular scripture, Lord, and the applications that we can take from it. Father, I pray your name is glorified through our study, that King Jesus is magnified. And Father, just guide our time in these next minutes that we have together. Lord, work in us, work in me, the deliverer uh, of your word, Lord, and in your people and all of us, that you would, you would fashion our hearts to look to you, to remember, and, and to come away from this place. Uh, refueled, renewed today, renewed in who you are. So we pray this in your name. Amen. I want you to consider this question today for your own life. Kind of a summertime question, but who is the God in your camp? Who is the God in your camp? That's been the title of the sermon last week. Here we're in part two this week. Who is the God in your camp? And by camp here, I really mean your Life. Who's the God in your life? Many of us, the word camp is going to bring about ideas of sleeping bags or mosquitoes or fires with s'mores, that sort of thing. Some other memory, some good, some not so good of camping. Um, we just picked up Madeline from camp yesterday in Wisconsin where she, where she was the past week and she had a lot to share about her week at camp and a good week at camp and um, I'm familiar with that. It's a place I grew up for 18 years of my life. Um, But I'm asking and I'm using this idea of camp really for us to ask, who is the God in your camp? Now, you might say all of us in some way, just hear me out, all of us are on a long-term camping trip of sorts for this current world is not our home, right? It's, It's rather a tent. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Now, there's more that Paul is speaking about here than what we would think of as tent camping. He's not really bringing that subject. But, my question to you again, while you're camping in this tent, In this world, while we wait for the Lord to return, who is the God in your camp? And as we turn back to Joshua 10 again, I think we find Israel gaining a powerful object lesson about the God of their camp. And if the Lord God is the God of your camp, you too have nothing to fear like Israel, and you can move forward in worship. Last week, we looked at this, this battle, these five kings. We've seen them before. They were in the beginning, these kings of the Amorites, Jerus- the king of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, Eglon, all gathered together to make war on the Gibeonites, their former friend and ally. But because of that covenant that we talked about that Israel had made, Gibeon cries out to Israel, help us, help your servants. And Israel comes, they, they march uh, through the night, God reassures Joshua, says, go, don't fear, I've given them into your hands. And so they seek to defend Gibeon and they fight. Israel really fights while God does the fighting. And we 
read about those great stones from the heavens and listening to Joshua's faith that the sun stands still to give time for Israel to fight. And then verse 15 says, Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. But then our verse 15, uh, 16 brings us back to another scene. And I think what's going on here is much like Genesis 1 and 2, kind of this broad, and then it zooms in. I think what is going on here is, yes, they went back to Gilgal, but coming back now into verse 16, we're zooming in on another aspect of this, this long day of the sun standing still, another aspect of this while they were there before they head back to Gilgal. Uh, some... Some mention, well, maybe Joshua was on his way back and, and they said, hey, wait, we found the five kings and so he returns and uh, maybe so, but um, I believe this is a zoomed in event here. And what's happening is we're getting another aspect really uh, of God's story of victory as this passage continues. So look at verse 16 and 17. Having read the passage, we'll kind of just read it in chunks again and just look at some of the highlights as we go through here. So Verse 16, these five kings fled and hid themselves in the cave at Makeda, however pronounce it here in the English, and it was told to Joshua, verse 17, the five kings have been found hidden in the cave at Makeda. So out of all the mayhem and destruction, all those great stones, somehow the five kings survived. They did not get hit. They fled and found temporary safety in this cave. And they're found alive, and that's where they've hidden themselves, this place called uh, Makeda. Uh, can you guys show the map up here? Can you bring that up for me? Okay, here it is. I've done the blue highlighting for you. Dead Sea, just north, kind of the camp of Israel at Gilgal, home base. Jericho, moving west. Uh, Ai's to the north. I cut it off. And then Gibeon, and the blue kind of shows the route as they head down south through these battles, through the great stones God is throwing from the heavens and ending up somewhere around kind of in the south there, Makeda. You can see some of the other kingdoms listed there, these other kings, Hebron, Eglon, Lachish, and so forth. That gives you an idea of where they're at. So thank you guys for putting that up there. Well, verse 16, just something brief before we keep moving on. Verse 16, in the narration, we the reader hear that these five kings had fled and hid in the cave. <clears throat> so we're reading this. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then verse 17 gives us essentially the same information, but it's really as if we're standing next to Joshua and the, the couriers or whoever's coming in to give this news tells Joshua and we're kind of listening into Joshua. So it's said twice here. There's kind of a doubling. And, and I'm, I'm thinking there's a purpose in this. It's not just a random, well, the, the narrator wrote it and then Joshua said it's kind of just this. I think the author is bringing us into the story. So, in other words, general picture, the, the kings are hiding. Now come in and come beside Joshua. You too who are reading this, come beside and listen to what uh, he's saying and, and how God is working. And really look for the purpose. Look and watch for what God is doing here in his people and what's going on. And So look at this. So we go on. Look at verse 18 then we see Joshua's response. Joshua said, roll large stones against the mouth of the cave and set men by it to guard them. It's interesting here. These five kings were not killed by the great stones, but 
They're now imprisoned in a cave by none other than great stones. They, <laughs> and I don't know if these were the same, probably not, but they put stones in front of this cave and they're guarded. And Joshua sets up these men to guard this cave or guard the mouth. Whatever these kings thought that they could get away with by hiding, you know, this looks like a great place. They'll never find us here. Well, they found them there. And now it's really become their prison. Now, we're going to move on to the, in, in, further in the text, but from a, a literary, just reading this, from that kind of standpoint, the first scene gives us a, a glimpse of what the last scene is going to come back to. Now, if you were here while we studied the book of Mark, do you remember the Markin sandwich? The, the, the two pieces of bread and inside was meat and cheese and kind of this story's framed by two pieces of bread, kind of like a sandwich is. And I, I think... There's a similar idea going here that these five in the cave and then there's some story of going out pursuing and and Joshua's teaching and then we come back to these five in the cave again. Hopefully at the end we'll see just the the emphasis here. Think of uh, of what we can glean from this. So we'll move on from 18, look at verse 19. Joshua gives a command, you know, guard the mount, guard the cave. But then verse 19, something more here. But do not stay there yourselves. Don't stay at this cave. Pursue your enemies. Attack their rear guard. Do not let them enter their cities, for the Lord your God has given them into your hand. The call here by Joshua, don't stand here. Don't don't remain while this enemy can be pursued. So while presumably, and I'm presuming, the sun is still standing still, We can hear here Joshua's command for his army to move, get going. And then the result comes in verse 20. So kind of after this, when Joshua and the sons of Israel had finished striking them with a great blow until they were wiped out, and when the remnant that remained of them had entered into the fortified cities, then all the people returned safe to Joshua in the camp at Makeda. Not a man moved his tongue against any of the people of Israel. Israel had not lost one. And the defeat was so much that the enemy did not even say anything. They didn't jeer at all at those who defeated them. Surely God had given them. He had given complete victory. But Joshua's encouragement had been keep going, keep moving, don't stop, keep pursuing because God has given you the victory. I think there's a similar call for us in Christ just to glean some application. For us in Christ, don't stop with one victory. Keep going. Keep pursuing. If you have a spiritual victory, don't stop. Keep going and working to know the Lord. Uh, If you share Christ with someone, let us not take uh, the rest of the year and say, okay, I did that this year. I guess I can take the rest of the year off. i got time. And, And slow down. There's wisdom in the thought, perhaps you've heard it, and I believe it's in the context of Christianity, though I think I've heard it in marriage as well, but you're never neutral in your Christian growth. In other words, right, we can never coast in our Christianity. We get to a point and then we just cruise control. I got it from here. I got it. I've memorized five verses, been through the Bible once. You know, I got this down. We're either moving towards Jesus 
or we're moving away from Him. I think there's a lot of truth in that. Paul says in the second part of um, uh, the third chapter of Philippians, verses 13 and 14, he says this, last part of verse 13, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul and you and I, we have a calling. It's a calling to press on, to set our eyes ever more firmly on the treasure of Jesus Christ. So move. Move because God's given the victory. Now the scene shifts back. From there, from that pursuit, back to the cave. And these now these five kings. Look at verses 22 and 23. Then Joshua said, Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me from the cave. And they did so and brought those five kings out to him from the cave, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmut, king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon. Over and over, as I was working, translating this passage, there's a pronoun translated with these five kings. And you'll see it hopefully uh, in the ESV. Others, um, I didn't look it up, but hopefully have this, where it's, it's not just five random kings. It's those five kings. Does yours have that in there? With It's these. There's a, there's a specificness of these five kings. And over and over, when it mentions the five kings, it says these five kings. Something's going on. I think it's kind of like in the text, if you could turn up the volume, there's a volume knob saying, pay attention to these five kings. And I think that's what the writer is wanting us to do. Look at these five kings. So that being said, looks, look on then in verse 24. And when they brought those kings, now there it is again, those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with them, come near, put your feet on the necks of these kings. Then they came near and put their feet on their necks. Joshua, I believe, he's bringing these kings out. He's setting up an object lesson for his people on what it looks like when God gives the victory. A a teachable moment. Do you have those with your kids? A teachable, something happens, a flat tire. Dads, moms, we should say, this is a wonderful teachable moment to teach something. These teachable moments that come up. Joshua is using the cave. I don't think he's wasting What's happened here, he's bringing them out for a teachable moment. He's going to take advantage of it. And verse 25 gives us the teaching. You ready? So he brings them out. You picture these chiefs. They've got their feet on their neck. They're holding them down. Everybody's surrounded. The people are watching it. There's those five kings, those ones that had gathered against Gibeon, whom Israel came to defend. And now verse 25. Joshua said to them, the the people gathered around, the chiefs, do not be afraid or dismayed. Be strong and courageous, for thus the Lord will do to all your enemies against whom you fight. Here, this is familiar ground again, recalling those gracious words of chapter 1 of Joshua. Joshua those words that 
God spoke to Joshua, don't be afraid, be strong and courageous. Many of us have them on our walls or put on paintings, these sorts of things. And now with five kings under their feet, he's saying to these chiefs, he's telling them, don't fear, don't be scared, be strong, be courageous, because here's how in this way God, the Lord, he's going to do to your enemies. And what encouragement I think this would have been to see this scene, to look at this object lesson, to remember, Israel, take heart, take comfort in the God of your camp. By way of application for us, what about us? Do we have five kings, not real kings maybe, that you can look at and say, if God can defeat these kings, He can defeat anyone? They're not listed as kings per se, but God does lay out, I think, some other rulers more lethal that we face. I want to show you some. We're going to some scriptures. You can stay here, but I have it on the slide. Can you bring up that next script? Thank you. 1 Corinthians 6. I know it's smaller, but it might help you. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says this. Think about what kings would we have. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So sin has a grip on all mankind such that we serve our own self. We glory not in God, but in man. The kings being these precious sins of our hearts. And yet Paul says this in verse 11, such were some of you, But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. If you've been washed by the blood of Jesus, sanctified or set apart, as we were talking about this morning, by His Spirit, you've been justified or declared righteous in His name, then such were some of you, but no longer. One more place, uh, another one, Galatians. Chapter 5. Thank you guys. You're doing great back there. Galatians 5, 19 through 24 says this. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. can't have other kings when we're worshiping the king. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Your foot in a way of speaking and application, is on those kings through Christ Jesus. We belong to Christ. Through Him, we've crucified that nature. A warring nature. Till till Jesus comes back, we go home to be with the Lord. But He's given victory. And so we look at the power of one greater than Joshua, the greater Joshua, that those who belong to Christ Jesus, they've crucified the flesh 
the passions, desires, no longer ruling our nature. They're still there, but they don't rule like they used to. And we might wrestle, but it doesn't rule us because we have a great Savior and a great high priest who's given us of His Spirit to work in us that which we on our own had no power to work. Well, back in our text, the remaining two verses in this section, verse 26. And afterward, Joshua struck them and put them to death. And he hanged them on five trees and they hung on the trees until evening. But at the time of the going down of the sun, Joshua commanded and they took them down from the trees and threw them into the cave where they had hidden themselves and they set large stones against the mouth of the cave which remained to this very day. These great kings who had banded together, they were brought out. Joshua strikes them dead and then hangs them on five trees. And yet, I think finally here we see the sun going down. I'm, I'm just presuming this is the conclusion of the sun that stood still. It's now going down. But before it does, these kings would be taken down, thrown back into the cave, and they would never see daylight again. This really turned out to be a, a, a really bad cave to hide in. It was worthless to these guys. Matthew Henry comments, he says this, uh, that which they thought would have been their shelter was made their prison first and then their grave. So shall we be disappointed in that which we flee to from God. Within this narrative, we see Joshua tell the army, pursue your enemies, keep moving Physically, and we looked at the call of Christ to keep moving forward, pressing on towards Jesus. And then this powerful object lesson before all of Israel, these five kings before Israel and Joshua, and once Israel is see and hear these words, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed, be strong and courageous. Look, thus in this way, God's going to do to your enemies whom you fight. So as you move forward, as you move forward, you can do it courageously. And then finally, this sort of bookend that we talked about. The beginning, they're hiding in the cave. They set a guard and then they go off to do, finish the battle, bring out the, the, uh, the five kings, and then they're back in and we end at the cave again. It's framed with an emphasis on these kings. And, and I wonder here, I wonder if there's just not a great contrast going on of the fate of these five kings are struck down, the cast into the cave, and they're buried to this day, so the day of the writing of Joshua, and that of the Almighty King whom Israel served. Their God was not in a cave. Their God was not bound, but He was mighty to save and accomplish all He purposed. To further the contrast, I just want to read one final passage. I'd like you to go there in the New Testament and the book of Matthew. In the book, uh, chapter 28, at the end of Matthew. You can find the book of Matthew <clears throat> near the end. Chapter 28. going to tell of another king, another king who was struck down. He was hung on a tree and put not necessarily in a cave. I think it was a dugout tomb from the rock, 
But nonetheless, guards were placed in the front of the tomb. There was a great stone rolled against the entrance. And I just want you to compare this with these five earthly kings. Okay, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For He has risen as He said. Come, see the place where He lay. Then go quickly and tell His disciples that He has risen from the dead. And behold, He's going before you to Galilee. There you will see Him. See, I've told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell His disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of His feet and worshipped Him. And then King, uh, Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. And then I just want you to skip down to verse 16, and Jesus just last instructions to his disciples. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In Joshua, five earthly kings tried to hide in a cave but in the end could not even be hidden, but they were found out, they were killed, never to rise again, never to walk out of the grave. But here's the Lord Jesus Christ, one innocent who gave his life for our sins, being fully God, fully man, who rose from the dead. The stone was rolled away and he lives forever. King Jesus, verse 18 says, has all authority on heaven and earth And what are his words to you and I as his disciples? Go, move, go and make disciples of all nations. Right? Can you almost hear Joshua, the greater Joshua? Keep moving. Don't just stand at the tomb. Glory, worship me, and go make disciples. And then, so love how Scripture ties together, do not fear. Do not be afraid. Jesus is speaking the same words. For I am with you always to the end of the age. Because our King Jesus lives, we can move courageously forward in worship. So to you, are you you hiding in a cave from God in your sin, facing the eternal wrath of God, which is your and I just punishment? Is that where we find ourselves? Or is God in your camp? Or you in God's camp would maybe be even a better way to say it. 
Is he the God of your camp? Have you confessed your sin today? Are you believing in this risen King Jesus? Believing in his blood to save you from your sin? And then, and then walking towards him in obedience. Not fearing, but knowing, Lord Jesus, you're with me as I walk into glory in this greater King Jesus. Let me pray for us. And I want to pray using a bit of Psalm 119 to pray for us today. May this be our prayer to the Lord. Lord, our soul clings to the dust. Give us life according to your word. When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me, teach us your statutes. Make us understand the way of your precepts and we will meditate on your wondrous works. Our soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen us according to your word. Put false ways far from us and graciously teach us your law. We've chosen the way of faithfulness. We set your rules before us. We cling to your testimonies, O Lord, and let us not be put to shame. We will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge our heart. So Lord, enlarge our hearts for our greater King Jesus. May we see that empty tomb as a promise and a hope that our King lives. And if He lives, He lives to always intercede for us on our behalf. If He lives, we have peace with our God whom we did not before. We were in the immorality and the sin condemned before You and yet Your condemnation was put on Christ for our sake who come to You. Lord, may we glory in King Jesus today and then go and pursue and move and make disciples of all nations and teach them, Lord, beginning in our homes with our families and spreading out to our neighborhoods, to this town, to our towns where we live, and perhaps, Lord, some of us to travel or to support those around the world. You have the authority. Yours is the kingship. Thank you that you graciously go with us in your name.